from Beyond the Beltway. This is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Nick Calm of Reputation Restoration, Cuba travel expert Dan Rutherford, Felix Sharp Cabrero, a Cuban activist, and reporter Carmen Season from NBC News Miami. Our program tonight coming to our new home base at the WYND Studios, AM 560 in Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open at 1-800-723-8029. That's 1-800-723-8029. We're back to a televised version of our program this evening. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, hop on. Let us know that you're out there listening in digital land as well as on radio, some of the great radio stations of America. We're going to talk in hour number one about what's been happening in Cuba and its relations with the United States. And in hour number two, we're going to be going into some other directions uh, with some of the big issues uh, that have faced uh, Polydor popped up in the last week. But again, it's nice to be back live on radio and on the Internet this evening. Uh, I'd like to begin. We have we have two guests in studio, and we also have a guest uh, joining us uh, uh, on the phone. And uh, I, I want to begin with, with our guest on the phone, uh, Felix Sharp Cabrero. Uh, Felix, nice to have you with us. Give us a brief summary, if you will. Give us about a 30-second statement, your mission statement of where you come down on the current uh, attempts by those uh, inside Cuba uh, to, uh, to, to keep pushing for freedom. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I'm Felix Chateau about 35 years in uh, government administration here in the United States. I represent the, the voice of Cuban Americans in the United States, which, by the way, is the uh, majority, that would like to see normalization, uh, moving back to the Obama-era practices and policies uh, with Cuba, because the Cuban people are suffering. Hunger should not be used as a weapon against a people. And that is exactly what the United States is doing today. I want to ask Nick Com, who's, I guess, uh, one of our card-carrying conservative Republicans. Uh, at least that's the role he's always played on this program. Nick, uh, what is your answer to the question? Is it, is it time to roll back uh, to the policies of Barack Obama? Well, I don't know that we've departed that much, Bruce, from where we were. It certainly seems as if things are at least somewhat relaxed. It's a very complicated issue, though. And again, you'd hate to see the people in a country, uh, even if it's a totalitarian regime, as clearly exists in Cuba, <laughs> suffering for any reason. But at the same, and certainly the embargo that was in place for years and years, or still is, I guess, uh, hasn't really worked in terms of displacing the uh, the dictatorship that exists in Cuba. Now, Dan Rutherford also joins us. Dan, nice to have you with us. Thank you, Bruce. Good to be Dan back. Dan is, is the former state treasurer of Illinois. He was a state senator for a long time, member of the House, uh, conservative Republican. My question to you is, because since you've left public office, you have been involved in the Cuba travel business. So as someone who has had a lot of travel, I mean, you have commerce going on with Cuba, how has that been affected by the change from the Obama policy to the Trump policy? Well, the advantage I had, Bruce, was I also traveled prior to the Obama 
Mm -hmm. uh, changes. In fact, my first trip to Cuba was in 1999 when George Ryan was the governor mm -hmm. and took a humanitarian delegation right. there, and I was a part of that. Uh, we had the I actually had the chance to meet Fidel Castro and be at dinner with him and and have a conversation with him. And it, so it's it putting that in perspective. And then over the years um, since I have left office, and it's been about five years now, I was in Cuba every other month. I mean, I was over there six to eight uh, times a year. And it was for specialty private uh, groups going over, uh, some personalities, mm -hmm. some political people. And I, I've got some quotes that I have from my friends in Cuba that they sent me since last Sunday when the mm -hmm. protest took place. But I think it's interesting, the reflection in that none of these that I have contacts with regularly were a part of the um, were part of the protests. And the biggest change since Obama uh, to Trump is the fact that they're just, well, the pandemic, unfortunately, but there, there just is no hard currency coming in, which the tourists would bring. So now I have a, a, a gentleman who was like a maitre d' at a restaurant that mm -hmm. we, you know, know him well, know his kids and, mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. He sent me, a, he sent me a, a message that says, I may not be able to respond back to you because I can't, don't have enough data on my phone and I don't have any money to buy anymore because I'm not working. So that that is the 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 challenge that the Cubans are dealing with. And Felix, I, I've not had the pleasure to meet you, but I, I I've got to commend your position because I adamantly agree with you that we do need to help by bringing some normality to our situation and Barack Obama was the first step to do that. Is there anything that the United States, uh, this question to you, Felix, is there anything the United States should say uh, to the to the uh, Cuban uh, leadership team? Uh, these are things you have to do before we relax the sanctions and re relax some of the other things that our Cuban people uh, must uh, deal with. Should we get something in return for being a little more open in our policy? The United States uh, has uh, taken a position, and, and, and the president just uh, announced to the Cuban government to uh, not be repressive in their in their in their initiatives to thwart the soft coup attempt that the uh, Cubans in Miami through United States AID attempted on 7-11-2021. Uh, That's the first step. But the United States should sit, should sit down in a bilateral fashion reverse the 253 policies, including placing Cuba on the list of terror nations in order to create a, a, a road a bump, a bump in the road for President Biden. Uh, the, 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 the president should immediately eliminate those 243 policies, which were intended to strangle the Cuban, uh, the Cuban people. Every time a United States president begins to move towards any action with Cuba, the Cubans in Miami who harbor terrorists and have committed terror acts against Cuba, Haiti, Venezuela, Colombia, and other countries, uh, they take some type of offensive action, and that's what they did on 7-11-2021. Uh, uh, Nick Kamm, your, your, your reaction to what you think the United States should be asking for if Cuba... Uh, at least the Cuban people are asking for a relaxation of existing conditions. 
Well, I think it's the things that the U.S. has been asking for with limited success going back 60 years, which Mm -hmm. is an end to kind of human rights abuses and uh, repression and all of the the policies that uh, a country like Cuba that is under a totalitarian regime continues to Mm -hmm. exact on its people. I mean, this is the real dilemma. I totally understand what Dan is saying and what the phone guest is saying as well. I mean, you hate to see the individual people suffer because of the policies of a regime. And this is a regime that's obviously transcended the Castros as well. It just continues on. When we come back, I want to hear from Dan, and I want to hear from Felix, and I want to hear from also anyone out there listening to the broadcast this evening at 1-800-723-8289. In your view, how have things changed from 1959 to now? Are there more human rights now? Has there been advancement? What's the difference between then and now? I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. 
We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back on uh, Beyond the Bellway. Nice to have you with us. Uh, let me begin now by asking uh, our guest. I'm going to start with you, Felix. Um, how has life changed insofar as human rights is concerned? Are they as bad as they were back in 1959? Has there been some growth and development? What's the story? There have been significant changes in Cuban society, and there have been gradual changes. There needed to be changes, absolutely. Uh, The fact that Cubans have uh, Internet access today, let's recall, that was a negotiation factor of the uh, Barack Obama administration, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things that they required of the uh, Cuban government. The Cuban government recently restructured its economy uh, and, and also passed a new constitution, which people are beginning to challenge the Cuban government in ways that they've never had before in order to move forward. Uh, and allow and allow more, uh, you know, more more more, uh, more dissent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's be clear: the majority of Cubans, and Cuba is a country of 11 million people, support their government. They don't want changes in their government. What they want is economic freedom. The economic freedom that the United States has deprived Cubans of since 1892, when they took control of Puerto Rico. Cuba, some other islands, and Hawaii. And by the way, Hawaiians also are asking for their freedom as well. Do you believe, uh, hang on, just... Cuba is not the only one. I want to ask uh, uh, Dan this question. Do you agree with with what was just said in that uh, people really aren't against their government? They're against their living conditions, and many of those people think that those living conditions are caused by U.S. sanctions. I mean, I, I Felix believe, is suggesting that there may not be a lot of anti-Cuban government sentiment out there. Do you agree with that? I I believe that the general public do have that sense. Mm-hmm. I do. Now there are those that are, you know, a little more and, and likely, likely a lot more inflamed about it. But back to your original question from mm-hmm. 1959 to today, there are dramatic changes. In fact, I believe if I was a Cuban in 1959, I would have been a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Fulgencia Batista, the president, was milking the country dry, and there was same conditions regards to, to to food and all of that. But the thing that happened when when Castro came into office, and later it got worse or got bad but today there's the liter- it's in the constitution about literacy they have one of the highest uh, literacy um, percentages of the country they've got universal health care in fact some of the best health care in the world and there are a number of um, medical visits from primarily latin countries that go there um, so they have done a lot that they could do under a dictatorship like that. But unfortunately, they kept it as a repressive society and eventually turned to absolute and committed socialism. And now I think it's run its course. Mm-hmm. 
What do you think happens next? Because obviously there's there's politics involved in this, and a little bit later on we're going to be joined by a reporter who's going to talk about the impact on, on Florida politics. But again, uh, why in your view, uh, Nick, is this happening now? I'm always interested when there's flare-ups of any, for any cause, I'm, I always ask myself why. Why is this happening now? What's your answer to that question? Well, I, I think the honest answer is I don't know. It seems to be at least somewhat homegrown, although I appreciate what Dan and Felix are both saying is that it's perhaps being encouraged by either Cuban-Americans in Miami or the CIA or whatnot. I mean, I would certainly expect that. Um, but you've seen, I mean, there's protests all over the world around freedom right now, around mm-hmm. the pandemic and everything else. In Cuba, again, I can totally defer to Dan and what he can. he says he knows from... All of the visits that he's made to Cuba, I've never been there, but it sounds like there's a, a fair amount of frustration that perhaps is going in a variety of different directions and isn't going towards one party alone. Felix, my question to you, why now? What's unique about this moment in time? What, what is unique about this moment in time are two things. Um, uh, the pandemic. <laughs> uh, Cubans have been in isolation for nearly two years now and the 243 policy changes that the Trump administration implemented targeting Cuba in a very warlike fashion, Mm -hmm. the time is now for the president to act and move in another direction. Do you think there's military action on the horizon? Is there any uh, thirst for that anywhere in, in Washington? My sense is no. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got too many boots on the, on the ground to too many places around right. the, the the world in many people's minds here in the states. I know there's been some suggestions by a Florida mayor that there should be at least considered to be military intervention. But mm-hmm. no, I don't see the United States having the, uh, the need actually to do it. The reason now, I believe, is totally the pandemic, because prior to the pandemic, Canadians could still visit Cuba without the U.S. restrictions. Mm-hmm. Russians could visit. So they had a, a Europeans were some of the biggest, along with the Canadians, the biggest tourists there. Mm-hmm. The United States was a minor amount when President Obama uh, finally changed the rules. But it was the, it was the growing amount. That is where they saw their future. So I think it is, that is the reason today. When I visited uh, Cuba, I went there several years ago, and uh, it was in the early stages of uh, changing the travel restrictions. Mm-hmm. I had to be with on an educational tour mm-hmm. and uh, went to Santa Rosa and, and Havana. It was for about seven or eight days. Uh, I found the country very, very intriguing. I found it less of a police state than I expected. There were not a lot of police on the street. I saw great adulation for Che Guevara, not a lot of visibility with posters for Fidel Castro. The people were very friendly. They were very nice. But again, uh, the average monthly income, monthly income, was $20. See, see, Bruce, there are two things there. One, the reason you didn't see about the adulation for Fidel, yes. it even comes for the fact when he passed away, he instructed the country not to put up statues of him. Okay. So I think part of that was self-imposed by him. And, and, and then the— why did, uh, he do, why did he do that? I, 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 I don't— 
obviously, I, I, I'm only speculating okay. in that um, I, I believe that he felt his um, his influence, persona, and mm-hmm. and uh, long long um, influence of on the island will will be self sustained. You know, he he shall be you know um, uh, remembered as he was, and the 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 thing about the um oh, i'm sorry the thing the thing about cuba and um fidel uh he is he is respected today he is revered mm-hmm. today but there is a different generation that has become attuned to the internet that is aware of world happenings and they are at least from the response I get from my friends in Cuba, they are the ones that really have been behind this whole recent public movement because now there's CNN broadcasting it and there's you know mm-hmm. Associated Press and you've got all of those broadcasting it. Well, when I was there, there was that, a, go ahead, uh, Felix. In, in addition to that, Cubans, uh, C- Cubans admire and idolize Jose Martí, who is truly the leader of the... Cuban right, the Cuban civil rights struggle. Uh, you refer to it as revolution. It is a civil rights struggle that began 350, 400 years ago, first to become independent from the Spanish Empire. And so Fidel respected that and, and never put himself above Jose Martí, who was known as the apostle, the Martin Luther King, if you will, of the Cuban people. That is why Fidel ordered that no statutes of him be uh, be created, but everywhere you look in Cuba, there's a statute of Jose Martí, a very peaceful man. Uh, my question to you is, uh, for those listening on the radio, you wouldn't know, but uh, uh, you are an Afro-Cuban. Uh, what is the relationship between Afro-Cubans and the broader Cuban population? Is there a is there a prejudice against Afro-Cubans in Cuba? It is an interesting uh, experience in reality to be black in, in Cuba and black in the United States. First of all, one of Fidel Castro's first uh, executive actions was to eliminate the restriction that Afro-Cubans could not own property under the regime of uh, 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 Batista, uh, which is what Marco Rubio supports. Uh, Afro-Cubans could not, did not have access Healthcare did not have access to education or gainful employment. I can still remember when the big to do came about. I was about four years old when we were first able to uh, to, to to attend school for the first time. I can still remember that schoolhouse. And so that is why I feel they always had the adulation of Afro-Cubans. Cuba has a long way to go with regard to racism because the caste system implemented by the Batista regime and the Cubans who were the 1% uh, in Cuba that own all the property and implemented that apartheid system of government, uh, it was eliminated by, by, by Fidel, and so that's respected. What, per- what, what, per- is, what percentage today, uh, Felix, are Afro-Cubans uh, on the island? The truth of the matter is that uh, based on our standards, based on our standards, the Afro-Cuban population is probably 60 to 70 percent. But you have some Cubans who will consider themselves white, 
who by our standards and when they come to the United States, they are black. But they will mark that, that box white because of the stigma associated with Afrocentrism. Okay. I want to talk Cuba. more about that. I want to talk more about that and also about uh, travel to Cuba. What is it? What What is it like? And again, uh, what are some of the other changes that may be taking place on that front? I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Chicago. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces. Just by giving her a bear hug, she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, I'll tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
coming. We are back on the air. I'm Bruce Dumont. Uh, hopefully you did not hear what was just said, so Dan will find out. Uh, we're <laughs> going to let each of our guests take a moment to introduce themselves, and uh, we're going to begin with uh, Nick Com. Nick, go ahead. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, good afternoon. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I am Nick Com. I'm a communications consultant. I've long been uh, interested in international affairs as well as domestic political affairs, and very happy to be here tonight. And Dan Rutherford. Thank you, Bruce. Good to be on the air with you. I have been a Illinois state representative, state senator, state treasurer, and uh, first went to Cuba in 1999. Had the pleasure to go with Governor Ryan when he took a humanitarian mission and delivered um, food and medicine. Had the um, opportunity to dine with Fidel Castro, get to spend some time with him, and and you know get an exposure to him at least. Uh, and I think what that's good. That, what was that like? Obviously, every, was everything through an interpreter? He speaks very good English, but everything yes, everything was through an interpreter. It gave okay. him that extra millisecond to absorb what was said and then determine how to best respond. I think one of the best lines out of the whole thing was during dinner, he stood and raised his glass with a toast, and he says, I hope you enjoy the meal. I hope you enjoy the wine. Um, it's, it's a good wine. My preference, it's, it's Spanish wine. My preference is Californian wine, but your government won't sell it to me. <laughs> so, so he at least had a sense of humor about it. But since I left government about five years ago, um, I, I, I went back into international. I was the vice president of Service Master Corporation mm-hmm. for international expansion. So I opened the business all around the world. And I went back into international about five years ago and would and and would take specialty tours, not a tourist agency, we didn't book airlines and stuff, but specialty tours, the Cleveland Ballet, the Washington DC Bar Association, the um a group of uh, well, in fact, he became Speaker of the House here in Illinois, Chris Welch. He and his family went uh, with us, and he's been over there twice. So that is what we've been doing. Like I said, I've been going over there every other month until the pandemic hit and have really friends there and have had some honest, blunt discussions about what life is like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the Committee for the Defense of the Revolution are like block captains, precinct captains in yeah. Chicago, but they were there, they are there for the revolutionaries. Do your, do your conservative Republican friends, of which you have many, uh, how do they feel about your, I want to say, sort of pro-Cuba position <laughs> there? I mean, you're, you're not supporting, yeah. you know, the, you know, the downside of the administration, but, but you know, Cuba is important to you. It, it is. It not only means money to you, but you know, because you've been there and you know the people. Yeah, and and as far as the money, it's 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 not it's not really that. It's for the love of love of heart. I have um, Christine Redonio and Bruce. You know mm-hmm, her former right. um, Republican leader Nick. You know her. Um, she she's been with us to Cuba, but it's been primarily my Democrat friends who have embraced it, and I've even gotten some of those nasty missives. On my webpage, Dan Rutherford, uh, Cuba Travel, nasty misses from Republicans. That, you know, Fidel Castro is horrible, and and uh, you know the oppression that's taking place on the island of the people. I don't necessarily disagree with it all, but let's let's find a way to fix it, and not just be thumping our chest to be bravado. 
I fo- I found uh, I was overall Im- overall impressed with what I saw. I talked about I did not get a sense of the police state. Mm-hmm. I had a sense when uh, we were talking to professors and artists that they were telling uh, me and my group uh, the truth. I could be totally wrong about that. But it was a generally positive position. And, you know, the one thing I said more than once uh, facetiously is what the country needed, uh, it needed a lot of paint. It, I mean, it, it's a... It's a, it's a <coughs> It's a drab. I mean, they're they're bright colors, but they've all faded and they're all drab. And send Benjamin Moore over there, and you're in good shape. <laughs> yes, but also at the time when I was there, literally every single day, a major travel entity, hospitality, whether it was Marriott or Hyatt, they were all announcing major deals, including uh, 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 Blue Sky, uh, uh, not Blue Sky, whatever the airline, Blue Sky or whatever it is. JetBlue. JetBlue. They were announcing major uh, advancements that were opening up the the island to extensive travel, and that obviously uh, uh, you know didn't last for a long well, time. Part but it of, did for a while. Well, part of that though is the Marriotts and the um, and the others. They were not equity. The right. Cubans were the equity. Right. The, uh, the Cuban government was the equity. The they would have a uh, management contract, and yeah. at that, they they would only have. Everything was 49% for the Americans. Right. Yes. They were always so, in the minority. Always in the minority. Okay. And, the, and the, um, the airline travel, prior to JetBlue, United, mm-hmm. American, Delta, mm-hmm. you know, Alaska, and all of these others that yeah. were going to Cuba, prior to that, they were charters. Uh, but you would you would book as a person right, on yes. the charters, and because of uh, President Obama's changes, that's when the airlines and the cruise ships and all of these started to have legal opportunity to go to the island, and that was feeding a lot of hard dollars mm-hmm. into the pockets of the Cuban people. Felix, what is the reaction? First of all, give us a little bit of background on yourself. Uh, I- Yes, sir. Felix Sharp Gallardo, Cuban American. Yes. Uh, hail from the great state of Michigan. I've worked. Uh, I worked there 35 years in government administration uh-huh. at the executive level, and I could uh, represent uh, Project Bang, Cuban Americans who are calling on the president to allow the shipment of humanitarian food, dry goods, supplies, and daily basic. Uh, uh, medicines and other things to to the island because of the food crisis that exists right now. Are there those in your group and within your sphere of influence that um, are concerned about or resentful of all of the American investment that might go to Cuba someday or has gone to Cuba already but is likely to go to Cuba in a big way should Cuba ever truly open up? I mean, there's a lot of money to be made there. Are are there people who uh, maybe left of center progressives uh, that really don't like that idea? Uh, absolutely not. We all encourage, in fact, the normalization uh, process, and there exist bilateral agreements that were signed uh, during the Obama years and and are and continue to be in place. As a matter of fact, I'm working with. 24 Michigan legislators, the Michigan Legislative Black Caucus right now, who, barring any further problems with uh, with, with COVID-19, are planning to visit uh, Havana in November of this year. And the Michigan Farm Bureau supports 
the normalization of relations. And farmers all across the country wish to be able to sell their products to the Cuban government. So there is an interest in developing relationships with Cuba on, uh, on a business level, absolutely. And no one is against that. Do you expect, just personally, do you expect, because Joe Biden was the vice president uh, in the Obama administration, do you expect uh, Biden to come down on the, uh, at least the Obama side and, and move towards the same type of policy that uh, uh, Obama had? Joe yeah. Biden has never been a change agent. Joe Biden has never been a change agent. Right. He got it wrong on the crime bill. He got it wrong on 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 a number of issues he's getting it wrong on voting rights he's not supporting sufficiently and strongly enough the issue of voting rights he's never been a change agent he has on anita hill for goodness sakes he got it wrong so many of us are not surprised that he is uh tippet and not moving forward right now but i have to tell you and i shared this with uh, senator blumenthal in in uh, new jersey uh this weekend mm -hmm. it's going to cost the democrats the the uh, the midterm elections his inaction is putting the democrats uh, uh, majority in in jeopardy as we speak and and because of the relationship between cuban americans and uh and cuba uh and the democratic party i mean aren't there a lot of democrats who are still upset with the Democratic Party and going all the way back to President Kennedy and not providing the cover? I mean, is, is that anti-Democratic Party feeling? Is, is that at the core of a lot of uh, political uh, acumen in the United States, insofar as Cuban Americans are concerned, that they really they don't like Democrats? Well, the Cuban Americans uh, in Miami are very Republican, very Trumpian, uh, with all due respect, and it's documented in the Miami Herald, racist, and align themselves with the white nationalists in this country. They, too, lost the election. They lost the election in the form of the Civil War in 1959. They, they tucked their tail and ran to Florida, and they have been, like many in this country right now, they have been trying to drive, no, they have driven U.S. policy and attitude towards Cuba since then, hoping to someday go back and take control of the businesses that they that they control and return back to the Cuba uh, of 1945 I, and the 20s. When I was there, uh, it was explained to me that a lot of Cubans who are now in Florida, who obviously want to come back uh, to Cuba someday, they want to reclaim the property, all of the property that they lost when Batista fell and Castro emerged uh, they had to flee the country, and they, they fled the country to Florida. They want to return, but when they return, they want to get money for the property that they gave up when they ran out of the country. I want to get everybody's reaction to whether that's a good deal or not, and its role in what happens next in Cuba. I'm Bruce Dumont. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, 
Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a show. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us. Let's go to Ray. He's been standing by very patiently in El Paso, Texas, listening to us on KTSM. Ray, go ahead. You're on Beyond the Moment. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, uh, I wanted to say, uh, how come we, uh, like, they're having an issue over there, too, right now? Why can't uh, Biden just go and send the Bernie Sanders in the squad over there to see if they can settle down the situation? They're in the spotlight right Ray, now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna in, Ray, I'm going to interrupt you because uh, I, your, your message is not getting through. So can you restate it maybe a little bit slower so we can follow along and answer the question? Okay. And also turn your radio down because if if you have okay. if you, we're on delay and if you have your radio on uh, you'll hear the answer before you ask the question. 
And so we want to get Okay, we're having the storm over we're having the storm over here by the way. Anyway, we're seeing uh since this that issue over there in Cuba, why do does Joe Biden doesn't get uh Bernie Sanders after all who was running for uh president yeah. and the squad and go see a Victor Crail down the situation in Cuba so uh they could prove their point uh, uh, to the United States that socialism really works. Thank you. Okay, let, let me go to, to Felix. Felix, I'm sure you've heard that sentiment before, and that is uh, if, if Cuba is so great, uh, you know, why don't we bend over backwards and, 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 and give them uh, more of a socialistic uh, uh, way of living? Do, well, do certainly what... Say that? Uh, what Certainly what the United States could do is, is to eliminate the, the embargo, the blockade, and allow Cuba to sink or swim on its own. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if, if, if there are problems then, there's always an opportunity to go back to the table. But allow Cuba to sink or swim on its own. Why, why blockade a country economically and financially and not allow it to prosper? That Monroe Doctrine policy, Manifest Destiny policy, that just no longer applies in the world today. Why has the Democratic Party not made this issue more important nationally? The Democratic Party is afraid of the Cuban-American community in Miami, unfortunately. Uh, Even though Joe Biden took a hard-line stance against Cuba this past week, uh, Marco Rubio continued to uh, to to uh, castigate him. Uh, the Democratic Party, in many ways, is not standing up for many things that the 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 party loyalists. And you're starting mm-hmm. to hear the rumbling on the ground that the party is going to lose the midterms based on its inaction currently. But they've avoided. I mean, in other words, they're they're so worried about Florida politics and presidential politics for the last sixty years. They've uh, They've 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 stayed the course since the Kennedy administration. Is that what you're saying, basically? There that are- is a fact. That is a fact. The Cuba policy has driven United States presidential policy since uh, since Donald Reagan. Since Ronald Reagan, yeah. I think it was in '86. I mean, I have the date wrong, the yeah. year wrong, but Ronald Reagan fostered the initial agreement with the Cuban American community in South Florida, uh-huh. which was. Democratic before that, and then switched to Republican. And yeah. since then, what Cubans say in Florida, there's a, the notion that you can't, you know, the road to the White House requires you to win Florida. Barack Obama changed that. But nonetheless, they have a significant impact on U.S. policy towards Cuba. No other American cares. The rest of America and the majority of Cuban Americans would like to see normalization. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I'll go back to you. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast that you have heard from several uh, longtime friends who either reside in Cuba or reside in Florida, and uh, they wanted to offer some testimony as to uh, sure. Uh, sure. their life as they see it. Yeah, and these, these people all that I'll, I'll just kind of give their updates in life are, are actually living in Cuba. They are Cuban. Um, they're not a part of the... Um, uh, Committee for the Defense of the Revolution, which is, like I was saying earlier, precinct captains out of Chicago. Uh, they're just hardworking Cuban people. And here, one of them, um, Emilio, who's from Vinales, which is over on the western side of the island. Uh, thank you. So far, we are fine. Thanks, God. This is not good at all. Again, thank you for worrying. Greetings and kiss to all. 
Um, Brian says, worried about the whole Cuban situation, but I'm still happy at the same time because we need to do that. The population in Cuba is sad. It's hungry. My mom is good. My family is good. My family is not in trouble. Um, The Internet in Cuba has been off. They turned it off and the electricity, but we're still good. We are still good. The number, uh, one of the other observations I had when I visited Cuba was uh, the the number of people that go back and forth between Cuba and Florida every single week. And uh, they are carrying all kinds of merchandise and refrigerators and, I mean, small small refrigerators. <laughs> but the amount of commerce and, and commercial product that's coming from the Cubans in Florida to their neighbors or their family back in Cuba is, is amazing. Yeah, there uh, there's there's a two types. There's the It's almost like a like like the it's almost a, like a freight plane <laughs> as opposed to a passenger plane. It, there's there's two types. There's the family that gets over there periodically mm-hmm. and then there's what they call mulas, which are the mules. They actually do it as a business. In fact, it was um, Miguel Diaz just announced within the last few days that one of the policies they are going to change in Cuba is to allow um, people to bring in goods without uh, having a limit, uh, goods meaning food and medicine, without having a limit and without a tax. That may be just a little bit too late because there's very little traffic coming back and forth uh, with Cuba now because of the pandemic. But at least if that sustains itself, will be a, a minor help to the, to the Cuban families. The other thing they talked about was their health care system. What is their health care? It's, it's very good. It's very good. In fact, um, that is something that we, I have visited a number of the polyclinics, a number of the state hospitals, and you'll find a number of Latin American leaders getting their medical situation taken care of there. Okay. We have to pause right now. Our guests in hour number one, we thank them all for joining us. They'll be back. <laughs> for another full hour and also we're going to switch gears and talk about a few other political matters but we're also going to hear from a veteran reporter uh, from Miami NBC News and she's going to bring us bring us up to date on the impact on Florida politics. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Back. Thanks very much for joining us. We continue with Dan Rutherford here in uh, Chicago and also with uh, Nick Calm. And uh, we've been talking about Cuba thus far. And also uh, Felix Sharp Cabarro joins us on the phone. Uh, he is a longtime activist uh, and Cuban historian. And uh, we are scheduled. In fact, I think we are ready now, if I get a go from my producer, uh, that we're now joined by uh, Carmen Sesson. She is a reporter for NBC News Miami. And Carmen, are you with us? Yes, very happy to be here. Terrific. Very good. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning that, that I want to talk just a little more about the politics of how this is playing in the state of Florida. So you're going to join us for that kind of the discussion because uh, that's uh, right in your backyard. And so my question would be is uh, how is this issue playing uh, in Florida? And it seems like a perfect issue for Marco Rubio to run for reelection on. Is that is that viewed by others the same way down there? Yes, definitely. Cuba is a huge issue here in, in Florida, especially in, in South Florida. Uh, Democrats lost badly in 2020, in the 2020 election. Trump won the state by, by four points. Um, other Republicans swept seats in, in Congress. So right now, uh, the issue of, of Cuba is, is top of mind um, for many voters. Uh, not just Cuban American voters. Uh, this resonates with a lot of Latino voters down here in Florida. Many of them who have fled socialist uh, governments, so socialist countries, or have somehow been impacted by communism move, uh, communist movements, leftist movements in, mm -hmm. in Latin America. Um, yes, Marco Rubio is capitalizing on this. He has been putting himself out there, tweeting all the time about Cuba, um, recording statements, uh, speeches. Um, and Republicans in general, general have been doing the same thing. Uh, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis was down in Miami on Thursday with um, two uh, members of, of Congress, Rep. Uh, Maria Vida Salazar 
and uh, Rep. Carlos Jimenez. And they were giving a speech uh, to, to Cubans and they were calling out Biden on how uh, the administration should be providing uh, communications to Cuba to circumvent the censorship there. Uh, and all this is, is, is very effective. The, uh, are, there, are there things that Joe Biden could do since he was the vice president of Barack Obama? If the United States or he were to decide, let's go back to the, uh, the Obama era policies and bring Nancy Pelosi along with it. I mean, would that conceivably change the political minds down there that uh, suddenly the Democrats after 60 years are going to finally do something to make them happy? Is that realistic? To go back to Obama era policy, I I don't I I think Biden has been clear that he is not going back to Obama era policy. What he promised during his campaign was that he would reverse some of Trump's measures because Trump really tightened the screws on the embargo. So he promised he would reverse travel restrictions and restrictions on remittances. So far, he has not done that yet. Um, so never mind going to back to Obama-era policy. He hasn't done that. Uh, the administration continues to say that Cuba is under review. Um, it's been under review since, since January, really. So I, that, that doesn't seem plausible, especially after what happened last weekend, which carried out until Tuesday, it, uh, you know, what, what people here want to want to listen to is tough talk on Cuba. They want to hear that, um, you know, that, that they, 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 they want to hear Biden condemning um, communism, the, uh, condemning uh, the president of, of Cuba. And he's been called out by many Florida Democrats uh, for not having come down to Miami to address what's going on with Cuban-Americans. In our first hour, hour, uh, one of our uh, uh, guests, who's uh, Felix uh, Sharp Camaro, Uh, Felix, uh, I'll let you restate your comment, but you basically said that uh, the Democrats, because of their mishandling of the Cuba issue, are likely to, you know, not do well in the the mid-elections next year, midterms. As a political consultant as well, my, my take currently is that the, the Democrats will lose the uh, the midterm cycle once again because they're mishandling the Cuba issue, they're mishandling the voting rights issue, they're mishandling the uh, a number of issues in, in Congress. They're just not moving forward fast enough and forcefully enough. They're kowtowing to the opposition, which is unfortunately is a Democratic Party tendency. Yeah. Uh, is this, uh, Carmen, in, in your view, uh, are the Cuban-American voters in South Florida, are they the determining factor in who wins a statewide election in Florida? Um, Cubans are very influential. I would say Latinos in general. Latinos make up about 20 percent of eligible voters in Florida, which is significant. Um, since Florida is usually run by such small margins. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in this past election, we saw a huge shift among all Latinos in support for Trump. Okay, so in, in exit polls, what, what are called um, non, uh, what, what are referred to as other Latinos, mm-hmm. uh, they supported Trump by 50%. And those are Latinos who do not identify as being Cuban-American or Puerto Rican. So we're talking Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, Colombians, Argentinians. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a big group of people 
who who are here because of a, and what they have in common is that many of them have been affected by socialism and that's why they're living here um so for 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 some for a democratic candidate to win florida it's very important to win miami-dade county by big margins miami-dade county is the most populous county in florida right. biden only won miami-dade county by seven points in contrast hillary clinton won Miami-Dade County by almost 30 points four years prior. Is, uh, so it's, is, it's almost impossible to win the state without carrying Miami-Dade County by double-digit points. And where where does the issue of illegal immigration, when you think, or I think when most people think illegal immigration, they think it's Mexico, they think Florida, they th- not Florida, they think Texas, they think Arizona, and to some extent California. Is is the discussion of illegal immigration and, and migration from Mexico, is that not important to uh, the Latinos or the Hispanics that reside in Florida? No, that is not important. Uh, no, not, not at all. That's, that's not what's top of mind for Latino voters here. Um, the economy, yes, just like anywhere else, the economy, jobs, that's very important. And the socialism messaging that Trump had over the, in, in 2020 was very effective. Um, I remember being at a rally, in, um, uh, a, a Trump rally that I was covering in January 2020. I remember speaking to voters there that were not Cuban. They were from Nicaragua, from other countries. And they told me I would never vote for a Democrat because look what Obama did. Obama sat down with, with, with Castro, with Raul Castro. Mm-hmm. So that, the, the Cuba issue is, is very constant among all Latinos. Cuba has been around for over six decades. The, the communist government in Cuba has been around for over six decades and has been involved in many leftist movements in Latin America. It's a strong ally of Venezuela. It's a strong ally of, of Nicaragua. So a lot of people see um, their, the issue in their countries vis-a-vis Cuba. Okay. So, Carmen, it's, it's, I, I, so I, Cuba is a huge issue. Carmen, I thank you very much for bringing us up to date on Florida politics as it relates to the Cuban-Americans in that state and also what's happening on the island. Veteran reporter for NBC News Miami, Carmen Sassan, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Thank you very much. It was great to join you. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in English. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. 
your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back at uh, AM560 WYND, the answer in Chicago. And again, here is an answer to those who are... uh, or who have been, uh, I guess you wouldn't be able to hear this message. If, uh, if you've just reported that you've lost our signal on Facebook or YouTube, then you can't hear what I'm saying. Right? What? But, <laughs> <laughs> Hello? <laughs> well, we've lost, we've lost uh, we thought we were all clear with TV tonight, but we've lost our Facebook feed, uh, so those people that were looking there could not find it. Uh, by the way, if that ever happens... You can go to beyondthebeltway.com. Just remember, beyondthebeltway.com. Look up our stations. This lists all the affiliates that carry this program. And go to one of those affiliates because they virtually all carry the streaming version of the show. So it's relying on radio. You can always rely on radio, Lord willing. And uh, you can continue with the uh, audio portion of the show. You just close your eyes and... Pretend like you're watching on TV. But, again, it is radio. Uh, 1-800-723-8289, should you wish to opine on anything. And uh, we're switching gears now, putting uh, uh, Cuba in the rearview mirror, even though Dan Rutherford and uh, uh, Felix Sharp Cabrero continue to join join with us. And, uh, uh, Nick, you wanted to bring up a subject uh, for everybody to comment on. Well, I'm just curious what's going to happen, you know, both with the primary infrastructure bill or what... Mm-hmm. Uh, people would call the real infrastructure bill, uh, you know, yeah. roads, real bridges, infrastructure, roads, bridges, you know, public transportation, all of that stuff, which is, I think, a very shaky coalition that's existing between the Democrats and the Republicans. And then what's going to happen with this other bill the, uh, that Chuck Schumer is leading to try to push through through reconciliation? Is that going to go through? Are they going to have all of the Democrats that are going to stand with it? 
because um, there's some uh, it's amazing how little attention that's really gotten and the kinds of things that would be in that bill where everybody supports the idea of traditional infrastructure as each party is jockeying for position to go back to the voters in 2022 uh, let me ask Felix Felix who's winning that battle right now for the hearts the, and minds of the voters well the voters are in somewhat a disarray and and feeling to some degree let's have a real conversation uh leaderless the republicans for the last 40 to 60 years 50 years in the united states even when they have not been in the majority have driven the public debate and right now the real infrastructure bill is, uh, is I won't say dead in the water, but it is questionable evidence that uh, the, vice, the vice president two weeks ago was supposed to visit the city of Detroit. The city of Detroit came under flooding the night before. Mm -hmm. It was her opportunity to wade in the water in Detroit and call on infrastructure legislation. Instead, she uh, canceled her trip and came a week later leadership stands in the midst of catastrophe and calls on the people to respond. That was a missed opportunity. Now, for those who have been listening to the full broadcast this evening, uh, and you've identified yourself as a Democratic strategist in addition to your role as a Cuban historian, a part of our discussion this evening, uh, you've taken some significant swipes at the Democratic Party. Is there any bright light that you see uh, on the horizon to uh, whip them into shape so they're in better fighting position come 2022? Well, I, I wouldn't call them swipes. Uh, I would call them messages that they need to heed. Yeah. Least, least they lose the little grip on, on leadership that they have. If they don't listen to the people, if they're not listening to people on the ground like myself, and that's what I shared with Senator Blumenthal this weekend, mm -hmm. uh, then then God help us. And, and the, the reality is, if the Republicans regain control and power, and the legislation they put forward is, the legislation and leadership they put forward uh, is the order of the day, then we all have to live with that. You know, we're not going to attack the Capitol. <laughs> and deny that they're in power. We're going to follow suit because it's, it is the American way. I'm just so surprised to hear Felix saying these things because from a conservative Republican standpoint, I mean, Joe Biden is the most liberal president and his governing is the most liberal president since FDR. But I'm just surprised. Felix, are you just trying to send a message that he's not going far enough left? Is that what it is? Because I know that there's some of that, but even... You know, Bernie Sanders, all, the squad, and all of them, they're they are thrilled with all of the legislative initiatives that he's putting through. So it's just kind of interesting to hear you, uh, to use Bruce's term, taking swipes. Well, uh, first of all, I'm a centrist. I, I, I vote for the individual, not the party. Mm -hmm. And uh, though I tend to lean left of center, that is a fact. I'm just... I'm just having a real conversation about what is happening on the ground. We're not... Uh, we're, we're not in denial on this side, uh, Nick. We tell the truth. When we see a riot on January 6th, we believe it. We don't say that it was a peaceful discourse in, in March. We tell the truth on this side. When you, when you see and read about violence in American cities where the number of black crime against black victims 
is widespread in all the major markets, well well documented. When you see that happen, do you think that the Democratic leadership is speaking out and denouncing that in as specific a way as they should? Or do you, are you, do you think they're, they're coddling some of those that are involved in the criminality? Well, first of all, I, I don't subscribe to the notion of defund the police. Never have. I never use the term. Okay. Uh, because we have to support our police. We have to police the police because we have evidence of the abuses, and I have been a victim of it myself, that occur among some uh, police officers mm-hmm. in this country. The FBI started telling us years ago that, that, that white nationalists were infiltrating law enforcement agencies, including the FBI. And so we have to heed that word. With regard to cl- crime, there are many factors involved. Uh, uh, education, lack of employment, but certainly where the crime is committed, the time should fit the crime. Uh, No one is saying that we should back off of crime. There's too much crime occurring in this country, and it's going to be a major point on the election. Should Black Lives Matter leadership and followership, those that go out and and, and march and demonstrate uh, uh, in in downtown areas, as they did outside my uh, my uh, condo yesterday, should they spend more time having those demonstrations in black and black neighborhoods on the south and west side of Chicago and elsewhere in the country? Because that's where the message seems to have been lost. In other words, there are people when these crimes take place, and again, they lead they lead the news in Chicago every single night. And, yes. and there's got to be, there have to be scores, if not hundreds of people in those neighborhoods. They know who is doing the killing, but they're afraid to come forward. They're not getting the support they need from whoever can provide it so they can step forward and there can be some convictions in some of these, uh, you know, uh, you know, pass through and, and uh, fly by night, uh, you know, shootings that take place. That is a fact. That, that is a fact. They are afraid to come forward in the same way that Cubans in Miami are afraid to come forward against the blockade. And that, that is wrong. And in order for law enforcement to be successful, and it is, it is the, the poor black and brown people and white people who live in urban centers who are suffering at the hands of this crime, although, this crime wave, although it is starting to affect middle and upper income Americans as it did at a Nationals uh, baseball game last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, crime in America is becoming a major issue and it's not going to get better because of the number of firearms that are loosely in the hands of young people and other poorly trained individuals in this country. Nick, you're shaking your head uh, well, I no. Just, to I mean, I, I thought Felix was going to make a different point, because I think if, if, the, if we don't want to blame legal gun owners, because they're not the problem. It's illegal use of guns that is the problem, I agree. I thought he was going to be making a different point. But I think the issue is the crime that you're talking about, Bruce, that's happening in cities all over the country. I'm Frankly, I was one of the people who was really surprised that all of the unrest that occurred last year didn't propel Trump back into the White House. I think there was just too much personal enmity towards him for that to happen. But this is the factor, more than what we were talking about in Cuba, that I think is going to cost the Democrats uh, in the midterms in a big way if they don't get crime in big cities under control between now and then. Dan, your comment. I don't disagree at all that the challenge has got to be how to balance between what has become such a divisive 
D.C. I mean, to think about um, trying to find a consensus in the Senate for almost anything is is almost beyond the pale today. So uh, Biden needs to step forward, I believe, and use some of his relationships and institutional value that he's come from the Senate with to try to bring about some of these consensus items that you talked about a moment ago, Nick. Can he say anything about uh, the lawlessness in the streets on the in the in the major urban areas uh, where there's large populations? Look at how long blacks? it took the Democrats. They they went through their whole convention last year and didn't mention it once. They this is not a comfortable place exactly. for them to to be, and so that's that's not something that they're going to be doing anytime soon. Although they're going to have their hand forced as it is now. Felix, uh, absolutely. I think we're we're all agreeing. Uh, I didn't speak to the issue of illegal firearms because so many of the firearms that are being used are being used legally. We have shootings on freeways as a result, and regularly, at least in Michigan, we've seen that, uh, as a result of minor fender benders. It's not just the illegal gun trade, which also has increased because there's so many firearms being sold annually, but it's also the legally owned firearms that are improperly being used. That is a problem. Uh, We've got a pause. We've got uh, Dave, who's a longtime listener, listening to us in Spokane, Washington. He's going to join the conversation when we roll on with Beyond the Beltway from Elk Grove Village, Illinois. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. 
she could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. back. Bruce Dumont back. He said again and again, I'm here and thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. Dan Rutherford is with us in studio along with Nick Calm and joining us on the phone and being a great addition to our discussion this evening. And that is Felix Sharp Calabraro. Did I get that last name right, Felix? Caballero. Sharp Caballero. Caballero. That's good enough. Good enough. Okay. <laughs> and let's go to Dave, who's a regular listener. He listens to us in Spokane, Washington on KXLY, I assume. Go ahead, Dave. You're on the air. Hey, Bruce. Uh, try to make it quick. Um, I'm just so tired of the Democrats being basically wrong on almost everything. I just can't believe it. Uh, they actually come out from the administration and tell Cubans, who many of which have would have valid asylum requests, uh, yes. Don't come. Don't bother coming. If you come, we're not going to let you on the land. You know, literally, really, really aggressive uh, on don't try to get over here. But the Mexican border, if you come across through Mexico, you know, that's fine. Just just pass on through. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, reverse all of the Trump administration, uh, you know, issues that were basically stopping uh, the immigration rush remaining in Mexico and the rest of those. Uh, they, they just, I mean, now, I don't know if you, recently, I just saw that so far this year, there's about 200,000 getaways, which are the ones, the people that come across the border that they never can contract. So it's, an, you know, they're estimating how many they just have not been able to catch, about 1,100 a day. I mean, if just one, one thousandth of one percent of those ended up being some kind of a terrorist or somebody that wanted to do harm to this country, that is a literal threat to the country. But the, the Obama administration is just completely backwards on their priorities of what they should be doing. You mean, so the, Bi- I, I the, Bi- you mean the Biden? You've said the Obama administration. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, the Biden administration. Okay. So I don't know. They're just, they seem backwards on this whole thing. Uh, where do you come down on this, uh, Felix? Uh, and, and do you agree with our uh, reporter earlier, Carmen, who said that uh, uh, the Cuban-American voting population really doesn't spend much time thinking about the illegal immigration issue, that that's a, a Mexican issue and not uh, germane to their lifestyle and lives? Completely agree with uh, with her position. Uh, the, the, the issue of immigration related to Mexico and illegal immigration really does not affect uh, the, the Cuban and Latin American population uh, in South Florida uh, as much. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, but to those that will argue that if you're coming from Cuba and you get one foot on our shore, uh, you're welcomed into the country, which has been the policy since the late, uh, early 60s, uh, can you see why 
the Mexicans may view that entirely different, that somehow they're being prejudiced against because they don't, they don't, have, they don't have the political cover that uh, the Cubans did? Absolutely, and it has been a, a sore, uh, an issue of, of, of sore relations between Mexican-Americans and Cuban-Americans. But Barack Obama, on his way out the door, eliminated the wet foot, dry foot policy and did so at the behest of the Cuban government because that policy, which is intended to depopulate Fidel Castro's country, because if he didn't have a population, he didn't have a country, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That policy has caused for hundreds of thousands of Cubans, we don't even know the number, to lose their lives in the Florida Strait. It is an inhumane policy, once again, intended to, uh, and using the struggle of the Cuban people, the pain of the Cuban people, to uh, to benefit the interest of the South Florida's uh, um, Cuban-Miami community. Uh, Doug, can you talk about the, uh, the, the split or the animosity that exists <clears throat> within the uh, Hispanic communities? Do you have a comment on that? Well, the, the, uh, the, the only no, comment... I want to let Dan comment, and then we'll be back to you. Uh, Perfect, Felix. thank you. Yeah, the only, the only comment I would have a perspective on would be here in our own um, Midwest. I'm not familiar mm-hmm. with the South Florida part, but there is a certain sense of camaraderie amongst the Latino community, but there's obviously a large um, Puerto Rican population for us here in mm-hmm. Chicago, and they have a separate effort and movement and, got sep- and, and really somewhat separate issues uh, than other members of the Latino community. Is, isn't it a mistake by, by major media, Felix, to sort of lump all Hispanics together when you're talking politics? Absolutely, and that is done so often. You have to understand that the cultures are very different. Mexican culture is more Indian Inca related, uh, and and the the uh, Caribbean cultures are more African uh, uh, intertwined cultures, Mm -hmm. and and very different. So the issues are not the same in all communities. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that you mentioned, or again in your background, uh, you have been involved uh, for many years in the state of Michigan. Uh, and you've been involved in the juvenile justice uh, system, and you've done a lot of work within the social uh, uh, industries within the state. What is your answer to the question about stopping urban crime? How do we stop urban crime? If if we were to wave a magic wand and make you the the czar (laughs) of cleaning up a crime in the country... Knowing what you know, you know the cultural differences, you've worked in the bowels of, of the criminal justice system. What would it be? Where would you start? We start with uh, properly funding and spending the dollars that are already uh, directed toward mental health services. We start with young people with prevention, pro- prevention programming, uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, uh, us, uh, frequently frequently promotes the use of prevention programming and and mental health services much of this is related to mental health services and of course substance abuse addiction services are important because so many of our our young people especially now with the legalization of marijuana uh, are growing up substance abuse addicted before they even get to high school is that primarily in the african-american community in the white Absolutely community, not. or is it, Absolutely where is not. it predominant? It is, it is across 
it, it, it is across race and culture and economic status. The opiate addiction problem that, uh, that, that we have seen in this country affects for white America more so than, than urban America. Right. So there's this perception that substance abuse, addiction, and drugs are an urban problem? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It, it's across culture and race. But again, the, 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 the gang structure that distributes mm-hmm. the drugs in the United States, is that, is that an equal opportunity employer? I mean, is that something that keeps the black community going and the Hispanic uh, gang community going? Or is, there, or is there battles between blacks and Hispanics, or specifically Mexicans, for the control of drug within, uh, within sectors of, uh, of major cities? Well, we now have documentation and evidence that uh, in the early 80s, the drugs were, were, were driven to urban communities purposely and, and, and funded by federal government dollars. I mean, the Oliver North story uh, was never resolved. He was just essentially pardoned, right? Uh, so so, so it, has been, it has been used. Drugs has, have been used uh, in order to flood the, the, the urban communities. And uh, young men who have no alternative other than to turn to the business of selling drugs have taken uh, advantage of that to to finance themselves and their families. And, of course, at the end of the day, that causes problems because it it, it cannot end positively. Nick Nick Com is frowning as you speak. Well, I just, I mean, I think the, I agree with Felix about mental health programs and certainly from an economic standpoint. Um, as well, where there needs to be investment. I mean, we should not have TIF money going to build beautiful skyscrapers in downtown districts. We really need to have significant government support for investment in the inner city. That's a big reason. There's not jobs. If there's not jobs, there's not families. There's not stability. And yes, then people do turn to crime. But one thing that is definitely not helping is having prosecutors like the ones we have in Chicago and St. Louis and New York and San Francisco that's just basically turning criminals back out on the street and New York after all kinds of crimes, even violent crimes. There is a revolving door. That is not helping at all. Dan, how, how, how uh, important is the crime problem in Cuba? Is there much street crime there? No. No, there's not. They, in fact, it's in fact it's a really very safe country. There's petty crime. You know, there might be some pickpocket if you're in a in a large crowd. But because of having so much of a police state and observation and and plainclothesmen and so forth, the crime rate is very low. I heard a story again uh, from one of the professors on on my visit. Is there was some small town, uh, you know, on the. Uh, uh, you know, on the uh, on, on one western side of the of the country, where uh, there would be regular drops of drugs, primarily uh, cocaine, dropped on the beaches, and those in the neighbors, the neighbors would show up, they would gather all the cocaine that had been dropped from a ceiling from a from the airplane, and they would go to the police, and they were hailed as as heroes because they inter- had intercepted drugs that were coming from Colombia or some other country into Cuba. Uh, now, is that is that just one story, Felix, or you think is is that a, is that a real true story in your view? 
There, there is a whole lot of truth to that. Uh, there are drugs uh, in Cuba, to be sure, very, yeah. very bad, very bad drugs, not a very good quality drug. But uh, the United States Coast Guard and the Cuban Coast Guard actually have a bilateral agreement that was impacted by the 243 policy changes of uh, the previous administration, mm-hmm. where they were working together to ensure that Cuba did not become the pathway for drug flow to the United States. Okay, Felix, thanks very much. We do have to pause at one segment. Last segment coming up, I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8289. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.
Newmont back on the air from WYND AM 560 in Chicago, our new flagship station. Uh, we've got 15 minutes to go, or a little bit less than that, and I want to ask, we have two uh, card-carrying Republicans, or at least uh, semi-Republican. I guess they still carry their cards. Um, <laughs> at this moment in time, who is the most likely person, if there is such a person, to replace Donald Trump as the at least the titular head of the Republican Party. Nick, you are nodding, so you must have a name. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what he's done in Florida, uh, and his he is, he's managed to strike a defiant tone without some of the personality baggage that Donald Trump had and still be very conservative, and he's obviously done a very good job in the state of Florida politically. Uh Mr. Rutherford, your comment. I, I would agree with Nick DeSantis, and the other the other <clears throat> observation I would make is it seems as though he's he's balancing on the head of a needle by not um, ticking Trump off. You know, he's kind of yes. he's he's kind of he's kind of balancing right. that and and uh, you know uh, giving him accolades and so forth, but also it doesn't appear. From news media that we watch, it also doesn't appear as though he's he's sold his soul, you know, mm-hmm. like he's he's, you know, like the minority leader of the house. He right, doesn't yeah. he doesn't seem like <laughs> McCarthy going yeah. down to to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. So, yeah. which I think is good for DeSantis. Okay, and uh, is there anybody else? Is he the only? Is he is he the singular person that can walk this tightrope uh, between the pro-Trump? supporters and uh, more establishment Republicans. As as the news cycle runs today, he's the only one that I see. Now, there's a different news cycle that'll come, you know, at a different day and time. Mm-hmm. And the the others that could have or, or would like to have been can't, uh, like Rubio and Cruz, they were Trump's opponents. And, mm-hmm. and my sense is he's probably got a long memory on the type of things that they went through on those debate stages. Mm-hmm. And some of these other folks like Christy Noem and Nikki Haley, they didn't do themselves any favors. Noem on the whole transgender issue, but Nikki Haley in terms of the January 6th uh, activities at the Capitol as well. You, it's it, it, Dan is exactly right. You have to walk such a tightrope to be able to straight uh, Stake out your own position on things without antagonizing Trump. So he was. So uh, in your view, uh, Nikki Haley was a little punitive. She shot Trump? herself in the foot. Okay. Is it is it fatal? I don't think so, but it's certainly very grave for her in terms of her prospects. We haven't talked about people like Mike Pompeo. He could be somebody who could end up. He's certainly making a a lot of noise out there that suggests that. Um, I I don't. I wouldn't rule out Rand Paul either as somebody again based on his statements around COVID and everything else and mm-hmm. doing battle with uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, it's, uh, he, I think he's got a pretty decent shot as well. And he also has managed to find uh, a way to stake out his own position without antagonizing Trump. Uh, Felix, uh, looking across the aisle, you are a Democratic strategist. Uh, uh, let me ask you that same question. Is there anyone that you think uh, uh, can can walk this tightrope and emerge as a challenger to Donald Trump uh, if Donald Trump chooses to run? And I'm not so sure Donald Trump is going to run, but uh, your thoughts. Is there anybody else out there? Or if Trump steps aside, do you think it then becomes a Donnie Brook with uh, many more names to consider? 
Well, uh, middle road Republicans, uh, the type of Republicans that, that, that I can support, uh, Nikki Haley is a strong candidate. Liz Cheney, believe it or not, uh, could rise, uh, could rise again. And quite frankly, the groveling that we've seen from Ron DeSantis, uh, given some of the positions that he's taken, uh, he, he will crash and burn eventually. I, you know, he, he has not been tested yet in the big time politics. And I think that his allegiance to the former president will ultimately be his demise. I think that there will be others that rise, and uh, the, the likes of which Nick, Nikki Haley could do so. That will that will lead the party out of the 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 mess that it is currently in, for any, lack of a better any, term. Any, any surprise names out there? Uh, not at this point. Everyone is being very quiet because they are afraid to speak up. <laughs> there it, are consequences. Bruce, Bruce, an equally good question would be, who's going to be the Democratic nominee in 2024? Uh, (laughs) I think it is still likely to be uh, Joe Biden. What do you think, uh, Felix? I don't believe so. No way. No way will it be be Joe Biden. Will it be Nikki Haley? No, for the Democrats. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Not for the Democrats. Will it be (laughs) Kamala Harris? What do you think of that? The question is for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think that there are better candidates. To be perfectly honest with you, having a real conversation. Uh, Susan Rice. Susan Rice has uh, has lived uh, a, a life and uh, and has had a career that has properly prepared her to to address the interest of the United States in a bipartisan way, manner, and fashion. Right now. We have to be concerned about what's happening internationally and, and how we're viewed internationally. Mm-hmm. And we still have a long way to go uh, to recover from where our domestic and international policy was, was left and where countries like China are current. You know, I've, I've got to respectfully disagree, gentlemen. I don't see how you can possibly have an incumbent president uh, three years out with the control of the infrastructure of the of the party. Democratic Party and the White House to suggest that he would not be the nominee. I'm not I'm not saying he wouldn't want to run. I don't think he's going to be physically available. Okay. To run All right. Well, or that's a, have the capacity to does run. Does it automatically go to Kamala Harris, gentlemen? I don't think so. I I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Not a chance. No, not if the Democrats so want to win. So we have two Republicans and a Democrat. They don't think Kamala Harris no has a way. chance. Not a chance. Yeah, okay, there, well. there's too much. There's too much of a deeper bench and and talent pool out there than Kamala Harris. Okay. On that note, Dan Rutherford, thank you very much for joining us, former thank you, Illinois uh, treasurer and also former state senator and state representative Nick Com. Reputation restoration. Thank you very much. And also uh, to our special guest uh, Felix Sharp. Cabrero, and he has been with us offering his sights on Cuban history and also uh, a democratic strategist. Nice conversation, your first visit with us, uh, Felix. We'll hopefully uh, see you again and have you on in the future. I'm Bruce Dumont. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact 
of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Song again. Here's that song again. For the hundred.